Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash deathdyingpod. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is also brought to you by BarkBox.com. Get one free extra month of BarkBox at getbarkbox.com slash deathdyingpod. You're listening to the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. You ever have one of those dreams where your teeth fall out? I have them all the time. I hate the dentist, and it seems like I'm constantly worried about if I'm taking good enough care of those pearly whites. I assume, no matter how much I brush and floss, that the answer is no, I'm not taking good enough care of them, and that manifests in my dreams. I'll lose the whole lot of them, usually, when I have this dream. Not as a result of some mishap, but spontaneously and totally. Nothing but gums left. Some horrible infection that assaults my gums and forces my teeth out. Then I'll wake up. I used to get really bad ingrown fingernails when I was a teenager, too. My doctor could never figure out why, but it was like my nails were too big for my fingers. The edges of the nails, two or three nails on each hand, in fact, would knife into the flesh of my fingers, causing swelling, bleeding, and pus. It wasn't at all pleasant, and there wasn't much anybody could do about it, besides wrap them in bandages and cover them in antibiotic cream. This month, on Death, Dying, and Other Things, two stories about infection. In Just Come Home, a relationship is infected by an outside force. In Toe Infection, you get an ingrown toenail that turns into something much worse. Death and dying, the threshold between this world and the next, the boundary between light and dark, the barrier between worlds, and that's where we're going. We are going into the shadows to bring you stories of horror and heartbreak. From the Modern Horrors Podcast Network, this is Death, Dying, and Other Things. I'm Justin Buskey. Stay with us. Just come home, please, I said. Carrie had been gone for three days when she called. We exchanged pleasantries. Our relationship had been strained, so the conversation was short. When I asked her again to come home, she paused, then sighed, then hung up. We had met in college, second year. When she was done in four and I took five, she stuck around. We moved in together, fell in love, got married. Things were fine for years, years and years, ten years, well into our thirties. When she mentioned kids, I wasn't ready. It had always been a sore spot for us, and I understand. It was the rotten core at the center of our relationship. 
always festering, always stinking. When she left, she said she needed a break to figure things out. I at least owed her that, and so I agreed. No protesting, no hesitation. I at least owed her that. After she hung up, I was left with the phone in my hand in silence on the other end. The air tasted bitter. It was cold and getting colder. I needed to turn on the heat, but instead I went to bed and shivered under the blankets. When was Carrie going to come home? A week came and then went, more or less on autopilot. I went to work and phoned it in. I came home and let the dishes pile up. When I ran out of clean ones, I started ordering out. When I ran out of clean clothes, I just wore dirty ones. I didn't have the energy to do laundry. I called Carrie's parents, and her mom said she wasn't ready to speak with me. I gave up booze for coffee and hardly slept. Our cat, my cat, Trevor, kept me company as well as a cat could, which basically meant on the cat's whim. Whenever Trevor wanted attention, that's when I'd get comfort, and when he'd had his fill, I'd be left again, cold and alone. Damn cat never left Carrie. We had a second phone conversation the next week. She was doing well. She was still with her parents in Chicago, and now that the snow had come, it was impossible for her to leave. I told her I was fine, and we left it at that. The snows had hit me too, and for the next few days it was impossible to get to work. I telecommuted as much as I could, but the heavy snows had downed some communication lines, so my connection was spotty at best. Not that it mattered. I still wasn't getting much work done. Three nights into the worst blizzard I'd seen in ten years, Carrie showed up at our front door. Bundled from the cold, with bloodshot eyes and red cheeks. I was excited to see her, though I wasn't expecting it. She apologized for being gone so long. I apologized for the way I had been acting. We hugged, and then we both cried. She had a cup of her favorite tea, and while she was making it, I noticed a strange quality to her movement. It was like some of her joints were rusted together like the tin man without his oil can. I blamed it on the cold. After all, my muscles had been sore too, and plus I was excited she was back and didn't ask her how she got home. Maybe she took the train. Those are always a bit cold. When the tea was done, she started drinking immediately before the bag had time to steep. I put my arm around her to help her warm up. She saw Tyler scamper across the living room and bent down to entice him, and for the first time since we had gotten the cat six years ago, it rejected her. She stood back up, wobbly on her feet, and laughed a toothy laugh and then called the cat stupid. Something about the break we took had changed her, I finally decided when she looked me in the eye and I could see that fire behind him. The time away had made her happy, I decided. She was happy now that she had taken the time to sort some things out, 
And now that she was happy once again, we could talk through our problems, maybe even discuss having children again. I felt like I might be ready now, seeing the alternative of a life without Carrie. The phone rang, and when I jumped up to get it, Carrie slid her hand down to my waistband, pulling me against her. She kissed me, let the kiss linger, and then released me. I'll meet you in there, she said, and pranced off into our bedroom. She shot me a mischievous smirk before she disappeared into the doorframe. I just missed the phone, and when the answering machine picked up, I stuck around to make sure it wasn't my boss, pissed about my performance. It wasn't. Instead, Carrie's voice played through the answering machine speaker. Hey, it's just me. I'm ready to come home. As soon as the snow lets up, okay? I miss you. I'm sorry I've been gone so long. I love you. The answering machine beeped, and Carrie called from down the hall. Are you coming to bed? You wake up and your big toe hurts. The one on your left foot. A low-grade throbbing. And when you investigate, you see your toenail has slightly ingrown. A consequence, perhaps, of trimming the nail a bit too aggressively in the shower the night before. It's no big deal. You've had ingrown toenails, ingrown hairs before. They hurt a bit, but it's nothing you can't handle. You put your socks and shoes on like any other morning and head off to work. You don't even limp. Your coworkers are in rare form. That one who's always a jackass is worse than he normally is, and your coworkers are feeding into it, creating a feedback loop of negativity that isn't helping you not focus on the throbbing in your shoe. It also doesn't help that you're on your feet most of the day. After lunch, when your coworkers are fed and in better moods, you escape to the bathroom and hide yourself in a stall, slipping off your shoe and sock to check on the toe, and to your surprise, it's now slightly discolored. The nail in the skin surrounding it has taken on a purple hue, like it's been brushed with watercolors. You rub the skin gently, and your body lets you know to stop doing that with a pain of unusual intensity for an ingrown nail. Your sock and shoe are harder to put on this time, but you do, and return to work. That night, you elevate your foot while watching television. You've done that before when you've hurt your foot or ankle, and if you're remembering correctly, the purpose of the elevation is to keep the blood away from the limb and keep swelling down. Seems worth a shot. You also take two Advil when the elevation doesn't seem to help much, and then you drink two beers despite the warning on the Advil bottle. You fall asleep after the second beer right there on the couch and dream of stubbing your toe over and over and over. The next morning, realizing you didn't take a shower the night before, you decide to now. Stepping into the shower, you catch a glimpse of your toe 
and that derails your plan to get clean. You lean down to get a better look. The entire area around the toe has swollen considerably. In places, the skin has burst open, and meat, your meat, your toe meat, is spilling out of it. Touching any part of the toe now, however slightly, sends lightning bolts of pain shooting from your toe to your head, and you nearly collapse into the tub. You call out of work, telling your boss you need to see the doctor, and you'll come in afterward and head to the doctor's office. There, seated in the waiting room, you wonder if you're overreacting. Do you really need to see the doctor for an ingrown toenail? Sure, it seems bad, but you've barely given your body any time to heal. Plus, doctor's visits are expensive. You've got insurance, but it's not the best, and even seeing the doctor is going to cost you money you don't have right now, and that's not even taking into account any remedies she might prescribe. You're about to get up and leave when the nurse calls you back there, and once that happens, your fate is sealed. You've never been one for confrontation, however minor. The doctor, once she finally makes it into your exam room, is unimpressed and unconcerned when you show her the toe. Yup, looks ingrown, she says, as if you hadn't known that from the start. Keep it wrapped and disinfected. I'll write you a prescription for antibiotics, take them twice a day, and change your bandages at the same time. You don't pick up the prescription. At this point in the month, it's either the medicine or dinner and you'd rather not be hungry. You head back home, instead of going to work like you told your boss you would. Sick time is one of the few perks of the job, and now you've got a receipt from the doctor's office if your boss decides to give you shit about it later. When you stumble into time you didn't think you'd have, like when the systems go down at work and they send you home with a full day's pay, anyway, or in situations like this, where you parlay a doctor's visit in the morning into a whole day off, you very rarely know what to do with the time. You are constantly complaining to anyone who will listen that you don't have enough time to do the things you need or want to do every day. But now, with six hours snatched back from the machine of life, you don't take the laundry to the laundromat so you don't have to do it this weekend. You don't write a few pages of that book you've been telling people about for years. You don't run around the block on those running shoes that are still in your closet, spotless. Instead, you grab the DVD of your favorite sitcom your mom got you for Christmas five years ago, and you put on an episode you've watched more than 20 times. You don't even laugh at the funny bits anymore. You know every line of the fucking episode by heart, but watching it makes you warm, like you're with old friends. You fall asleep on the couch for the second time in 24 hours. You wake up because your foot falls off the pillow and you hit your damn toe. You don't know how long you've been out, but the DVD is back on the menu, so you've been asleep for at least a few television episodes. Getting to your feet hurts now. The blood rushing down your legs gathers in your toe and makes each heartbeat agony. Every time your heart pumps blood down into your toe, you feel it in your ears, screaming. And then you need to take a step. And when you do, the toe wraps its pain around the other muscles in your foot 
ankle, and leg, and your left leg gives out underneath you. The toe gets caught in the carpet, and when your leg rotates out to catch yourself, the toe doesn't. The agony is so severe, your vision, for a split second, goes white, and static explodes in your eardrums as your brain tries to make sense of the stimulus currently overwhelming it. It is several seconds before you catch your breath. When you do, when you're able to take steady breaths, you look down at the damage. When your toe caught in the carpet, it held fast for a moment, but only just long enough for the carpet to catch the gauze wrapping your toe and rip it off. Then, your toe raked across the rug. There, on the carpet, originating from the place the gauze was unceremoniously ripped off, is a thick, red stripe. Where the stripe ends is your toe, much of the skin and some of the meat. The tip of the toe's bone peeks out now, from the flesh. You hold yourself together as best you can, but then puke on the floor next to you, overwhelmed by the pain. You can't seem to remember passing out, but the pile of vomit next to you and the shape of your toe remind you why you would have. The toe, half skinless now and seeping blood, are not your only concerns. Your entire left foot has turned a deep purple and will no longer support your weight. Hopping on your right foot is out of the question, too, because the shock of jumping jars your injured foot with each bounce. You're forced to drag yourself across the floor of your apartment. You're not even sure where you're headed. Your bedroom, the kitchen, the bathroom. You settle on the bathroom. At least there are bandages in there. You drag yourself up onto the toilet and gingerly raise your left leg onto your right knee to get a better look at your foot. You brush your fingertip across the purple skin, which is painful, but bearable. You notice that your finger has left a path across your skin, a shallow trench across your foot where your finger ran across it. Repeating the process again leaves a second shallow trench across the skin of your left foot. You take a sharp breath in and then gently press into the top of your foot. Your brain is assaulted by a million colors and pitches as it tries to make sense of the intense pain, and when your vision finally clears and you look down at your foot, you're faced with a grim reality. Where you pressed on the skin, your foot has moved aside, reshaped by the force like purple clay. You grit your teeth and do it again, pushing the skin and muscle of your foot around like an abstract sculpture. You catch your breath and release your jaw, and you wipe the tears you hadn't even realized were flowing from your cheeks, and then notice, in the time you've been here in the bathroom, the purple hue has moved three inches up your leg. Who do you even call? No, really. Your mom, when you call her three states away, tells you to go to the hospital if you're that concerned about it, but it sounds like it's just a bad bruise. You can't afford the hospital, that's for sure. And how would you even get there? An ambulance? You'd never recover financially. 
Your friends are at work, and they won't get back to you until after five, and by the looks of it, that will just be too late. The purple has already reached your knee. Your sister is a doctor, but she's vacationing on the other side of the world, and you don't want to bother her. She's earned that vacation. Each bump, each glancing blow, sends pain shooting up your leg and mangles it further. The skin is just barely hanging on, and when the skin does give way, it's even worse than you thought. You make it into your bed. You don't know why you dragged your body all the way in here, and now that you're here and you feel the sheet sticking to the wet sloppiness of your deteriorating leg, you wonder what the hell you were thinking. You're not even comfortable here. You're not even comfortable. You prop yourself up with some pillows and watch for a while. You watch the purple infection slide up your leg, just above your knee one minute, then halfway up your thighs a few minutes later. Soon, it's almost reached your groin. You should have picked up those antibiotics. The horror has subsided slightly, at least, as you've gotten used to this new normal, receding into a macabre interest. Each inch the infection progresses, you signify with a landmark. An old scar, a birthmark, a mole. Just before it settles into the crease of your groin, you take a deep breath, noticing how much speed it's picked up, like some invading force that's turned the tide of a battle. Splitting into two fronts, the infection's invading force continues traveling into your abdomen, but also down your right leg. Your left leg, completely taken over, doesn't respond to commands from your nervous system anymore, but does continue to bombard your brain with pain signals. The oldest of the purple skin, down on your foot and shin, begins to dry out, flake off, and crumble. Shifting your body away, the lower third of your left foot crumbles to ash. You should have called that ambulance. Your vision is drawn away from your body to a fly circulating above you, frantic zigzags across the room. You wonder what could have brought it all the way here when there are dirty dishes in the sink, but then you take a sharp breath in through your nose and finally realize where that smell that's been growing is coming from. The fly lands on your face, and you swat at it, brushing it away. It retreats, returning to the air and zipping around over your increasingly immobile body. It lands on your face again, and you shoo it away. It takes to the air once again. You look back down at your body and are surprised to find that the purple terror has reached your ribcage, and then the fly lands on your stomach. Annoyed and at the end of your rope, you bide your time, and when the moment is right, strike. You get the fly, but your fingers plunge right through the papery purple skin on your belly and brush into an organ deep in your abdomen. You're not sure which, but then your instinct jerks your arm away from your body, pulling your fingers with it. The pain rushes to your head, and the disgust rushes to your stomach, and your stomach wins. You retch, 
and each retch forces some structure from deep in your body out of the splitting skin of your stomach. By the time you calm yourself, your entire left leg is gone, dust, pulverized by your violent gagging. It's ten more minutes before the contamination reaches your neck. This episode of Death, Dang, and Other Things was produced and edited by me, Justin Buskey. The stories, both Just Come Home and Toe Infection, were written by me, too. You can follow me on Twitter, at Justin Buskey. Intro and outro music is by the prolific Eric Warnke. Check him out on SoundCloud. Special thanks to Infection and to Doctors. Death, Dying, and Other Things is a member of the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Check out the other shows. They're great. New episodes the first Thursday of every month. This has been Death, Dying, and Other Things, and I've been your host, Justin Muskie. Stay out of the shadows. Bye.